Anyways, good morning. Uh, before I get started into our, our uh, series, Losing My Religion, our message for today, I do wanted to, I wanted to get a chance where we could kind of get to know each other a little better, right? We're going to connect a little bit here. So I have some images that I'm going to show on the screen, and then I'm going to ask you some questions, and uh, hopefully by the end of it, we'll know a little bit more about each other. Amen? amen? All right. So by the way, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to say good point. It's okay to give some feedback if you feel the need to do that. It is nice. I know that a lot of people are out of town, but it is nice to hear back from the crowd when I'm up here. So uh, if you don't mind, I would uh, always appreciate that. But let's go ahead and, and look at the very first picture here, and, and I want to ask you what this is. So who here knows what this is? Right here. That's right. That's the Golden Gate Bridge. Who here has seen the Golden, Great, Golden Gate Bridge in person? All right. So I'm going to ask one of you, uh, Ruth, what was your first, the first time you saw it, what was your impression? Uh, it was huge. It was huge. Yes, it is a big bridge. All right. Next image. Who knows what this is? That's right. That's the Taj Mahal. Has anybody here seen the Taj Mahal? Nope. None of us. Okay. So we're learning a little bit about each other. Next image. Who here knows what this is? Right over here. The Great Wall of China. Has anyone here seen the Great Wall of China? Wow. Okay. So John uh, and Dana, uh, what was your impression when you saw the Great Wall of China? Wow. That was it. That's all you could say. Wow. You know, I got to tell you something funny. When I, when I was looking for pictures, I, I didn't realize that the Great Wall of China, like you never think about where it ends. It ends at the ocean. I didn't know that. Like it goes all the way to the water. So I guess you can swim around it, but you can't climb over it, right? Okay. Next picture. Who knows what this is? Mount Rushmore. That's right. Anybody seen Mount Rushmore in person? Oh, you have. What was your first impression? Their heads are big. That's right. They are. There, those are some big heads right there. All right. Next picture. Who knows what this is? The Grand Canyon. And who's, who's seen the Grand Canyon? Yes, Gerardo. What was your impression? Wow. Yeah, my impression was it's huge. Every time I saw it, I mean, that thing's huge. All right. Next one. Who knows what this is? Mayan knows what this is. Mayan, what is this? Machu Picchu. And what was your first time you were there? What was your impression? Eh. Eh. It's there. All right, a couple more. Who knows what this is? A lot of people do. That's the Eiffel Tower, right? Who's seen it in person? A few of us. All right. Anthony, what was your impression of it? It's bigger than you think. Yes, it, it really is. Okay. Next one. Who knows what this is? Right here. That's right. That's the Sphinx in Egypt. Anybody seen this in person? No? No? All right. Well, that's maybe one day some of us will get there. All right. Who knows what this is? Dana. Well, it is Red Square, but this building in particular is St. Basil's Cathedral. It's in Red Square. And who has seen this in person and in the audience here? That's right. I've been there. Mine, Nicole's been there. And it, it's, a, it's a neat place. My wife wasn't with me when I saw it, but when we were there and I brought the pictures back, she said, it looks like Disneyland. And it kind of does. And then the last one, who knows what this is? That's right. The Statue of Liberty. Who here has seen the Statue of Liberty? I have never seen it personally. All right, Sarah, what was your first impression? It's big, right? It's a big statue out there, right? So, you know, the world has got a lot of really cool things to see. I took these images off a website, like 100 uh, uh, most pictured or, or whatever, picture, uh, photographed places in the world. I don't know where they got their, their uh, 
research for that, but there was like all kinds of things. And, and as I was looking through it, I just realized, man, there's a lot of things to see in the world. It's, there's a lot of cool things out there. Let's, let's turn to God, right? I mean, let's go to, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter five and we're going to start our lesson. Verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are those who mourn. I'm sorry, blessed are those, best are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteous, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our series, Losing My Religion, comes from the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And uh, specifically, we're focused on the Beatitudes. That's the opening verses uh, or words of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes are a, a listing of eight different characteristics that are essential to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And in many ways, they're like the starting point of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've done every week, we have a few ground rules to, that we need to understand in order to properly uh, uh, um, uh, read the, the sermon, uh, the Beatitudes, so we can properly understand what they mean. So we have a few ground rules that we want to establish in, in, in uh, preparing for this message, right? Or preparing to understand it. The first ground rule is that the Beatitudes are meant for all followers. In other words, everyone has the same starting point with Jesus Christ. He wants us all to be uh, to, to, to begin here with the Beatitudes. Secondly, all followers are meant to manifest all the Beatitudes. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose which Beatitude we want, which one we don't. Thirdly, no one is born with the Beatitudes. And that's important. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's innate in us. It's something that we, we become or we acquire because of our following of Jesus Christ. Also, the Beatitudes are what separate Christians from non-Christians. If you want to know what a Christian is, you look at someone's life and you look for the Beatitudes. Are they present in their life? And there you have a Christian, uh, or at least the beginning of a Christian. Uh, but, but other than that, we're not separated by any other uh, um, category like race or gender or age or economic status. Jesus didn't separate people like that. That's a, that's a human thing to do. It's not a Jesus thing to do. He just either looked for followers or not followers. That, that was how he saw the world. And then lastly, the Beatitudes are otherworldly. They're, they're spiritual in nature, and so they may seem different. They may feel unusual, and that's, that's good because they are not normal to us. These are things that come from a different paradigm, a different ethos, uh, and they're spiritual, so they're by nature going to be different. Let's go to God in prayer, and we're going to study out our Beatitude for today. Father, thank you for this time to bring us together, and we do ask for your blessing to be upon us and upon the message, and help it to sink into each one of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So our beatitude for today is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, most of you have been uh, with us through the, through the series, and so you're familiar with the, the other Beatitudes. You're familiar with how we got here. But for those of you that aren't, or if you need a little refresher, I do want to step through what we've learned so far because the Beatitudes actually follow a logical progression. There is an order to them. One follows the other. And so in order to, to, to really get what, this, what Jesus is saying here with blessed are the pure in heart, we, we do need to start back at the beginning and sort of recap what we've learned so far. So 
First off, the first thing that we learned is that Jesus, when he, when he called followers, which is what he did here, he was teaching this message to maybe thousands of people, and he was calling them to come out of the crowds and become his followers. And one of the first things that he, that he called them to be when, when he called them was to be poor in spirit. That was the first beatitude. And the idea here is that the idea here is when you think of someone poor, you think of someone with empty pockets, they've got nothing. And that was where Jesus wants us to be. That's the ideal, the fortunate, the blessed. That's what the word blessed means, ideal, fortunate, or to be congratulated. That's the ideal, fortunate, blessed, to be, congr- to be congratulated state is to be empty because if you come with things in your pockets things already in you things that you think you already have then jesus can't fill you up he can't put what he wants to put into you if you're already filled up so we got to start empty then we go to blessed are those who mourn and there's an idea that that is challenging to some of us but the fact of the matter is we mourn because we're broken jesus was looking for people who knew that they were broken who knew that because of who they were, their sinful nature, that they were just broken people. And that's the second thing Jesus wanted. Not only did he want you to be empty so he could fill you up, but he wanted you to be a mourn, uh, to mourn because he wants, you, he wants to comfort you. He wants you to know who you really are. Then, then thirdly, blessed are the meek. And, and we, we studied that out, and a lot of people think in terms of power when they, when they see the word meek. They think, okay, it's, it's strength under control. But when we studied it out, what we discovered is it actually had more to do with selfishness. And, and to be meek means to be selfless. And, and that, of course, Jesus wants, that's what he wants his followers to be, to be selfless, because he wants to give them everything. And, 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 and you're not going to give someone who's just going to hoard it, hold on to it. He wants to, he wants to gift you things. And, and, and if you're selfless, then, then you're not going to use it in the, right, in the right way. And then we went on to, uh, blessed are the, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and we saw that that idea of righteousness, what does that mean? It means to be perfect. And we all know we can't be perfect, but the good news was, as Jesus said, he doesn't want you necessarily to be perfect. He knows you can't be. He wants you to hunger and thirst for it. Right. That's what he's looking for, those kinds of people. This is what he wants out of followers. And then only those people, only those people who know they're empty, who know they're broken, who know they're selfish, who are hungry and thirsting for perfection, only those people then can receive mercy because they understand the value of mercy. They realize that, man, they're nothing in and of themselves. And and, and why wouldn't they give that mercy away to someone else? And, And that's what Jesus wants to do. And now we come to blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, as I've done every week, we're going to first talk about what it isn't. But before we do that, I think we need to, we need to break the phrase into, into parts. We need to divide and conquer. There's two key words here. There's pure and there's heart. We need to understand what those terms are. So let's talk about what it means what, 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 is, what does he mean when he uses the word heart? It's, it's often in the Bible, you'll see the word heart, but have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean? What is he referring to when he says, blessed you know, are the pure in heart, or in other parts of the sermon when he talks about the heart, or in other parts of the Bible where, the, where, the, where, where other uh, 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 speakers from God talk about the heart? What is the heart? Well, let's talk about what it isn't. Jesus didn't say, Blessed are the pure in head, right? The heart is not the same thing as the head. Jesus was not uh, uh, calling people to some sort of intellectual understanding or intellectual assent or 
a set of doctrine or dogma. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but what I am saying is that Christianity or following Jesus Christ is not a matter of what you know or how much you know or when you knew what you know. That's not what, what it's about. It's not about the head. It's not that those things aren't important, but that's not the heart. That's something different. The next thing Jesus didn't say is he didn't say, blessed are the pure in arms and legs or the limbs or the extremities. You know, Jesus wasn't talking, in, it, it, the, the, the concept of the heart isn't limited to our actions or our deeds or our behavior. Christianity isn't a list of do's and don'ts. What's interesting is at the time that Jesus taught this, there was a sect of Jewish people called the Pharisees. They were a, a very pious sect in the Jewish community back in the first century. And they, were, they heavily emphasized deeds. And they failed to recognize anything else. And so Jesus, when he talks about the heart, isn't only talking about our deeds, our actions. He isn't talking about a list of do's and don'ts. There's something more than that. The, sec the third thing Jesus didn't say is he didn't say, blessed are the pure in emotions. You know, Christianity is not about feelings. We're not saying feelings aren't important, but that's not what it's about. He wasn't concerned about our feelings. And we tend to think of the heart, we tend to think of feelings. As a matter of fact, in our society today, we have what, I, what I'm going to call a feelings mania. I mean, it is all about how you feel. Right. And if you feel something's good, or it feels good to you, then it therefore must be right. But you know, actually in the teaching of Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. Feelings are not a goal, they're an outcome of what we pursue. So he didn't say, blessed are the pure in feelings. So what is the heart? Well, maybe the best way to think of the heart is to think of the whole person. It includes the head, the limbs, the feelings, and anything else that makes you, you. When, when the Bible refers to the heart, it's referring to man, the person, the whole being. Now, that's an important thing to understand when we, when we read the Beatitudes, but it's also important to understand when you read anything in the Bible because the Bible does speak a lot about the heart, but I want you to understand it's not limited to just a, a couple of concepts. It, it actually encompasses the whole person. Now, there's something really important that we need to understand about the heart. And, and, and this may come as a shock to some of us, it might even be a bit uncomfortable when we think about this and, and what, the, what the heart is and, and, and how Jesus saw the heart, what his view of the heart was. Are you ready? He says it a little bit later at another time when he was, he was walking with some of his disciples and they began to eat some food that was there in the fields, eating just right off the plant. And, and some Pharisees who were always worried about actions, they were always worried about deeds, got upset because it's his disciples hadn't gone through their, their tradition of washing their hands. That was a custom they had back in the day. And, and they were upset, and they approached Jesus about it. And Jesus responded to them, challenging them on their, on their uh, misunderstanding, the, the focusing on the action and not the person. And he says this in the course of that interaction. And I want you to listen to this, because this concept will radically change how you read the Bible. Even if you've been reading the Bible for many years now, 
This one concept will change how you read the Bible, how you understand the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of Jesus' teaching, and all of Scripture for that matter. So are you ready? Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now I want you to think about this for a minute because there is a debate. I, I have my degree in psychology and one of the conversations that always came up in class and, and in trying to understand human nature was, is it nature or is it nurture? What causes dysfunction in, in humanity? Is it nature or nurture? And invariably, everybody always says, well, it's some sort of combination of both. But I'm here to tell you the radical concept that I want you to walk away with today, the thing that I want you to remember if you're taking notes, write this down is that it's absolutely nature. The problem with people is our heart. It's not the environment. Now, we have a whole society dedicated to trying to better the environment. And I'm not just talking about cleaning up the, the neighborhood. I'm talking about you know, feeding the poor or, or, or raising minimum wage or, or aid to the third world countries. And I'm not making any political statement. I'm just saying that in our culture, in our society, we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort, especially the last couple hundred years, on trying to fix the environment under the false understanding that the environment will fix the person. But the, the insight, the thing that will radically change the way you understand your relationship with God and the way God relates to us through the Bible is that it is absolutely the heart that's the seat of all our troubles, not the environment. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Adam and Eve were in paradise, and they still blew it. It is the heart that needs to be pure. It's not the externals. It's the whole person. The problem with man is man. And that is the underlying assumption in all of Scripture. And so if, if Jesus spent time in the Sermon on the Mount dedicating an entire beatitude to it, in other, in other parts of his teaching, he dedicated quite a bit of time on talking about the heart. If the other men of God that prophesied and taught and wrote Scripture inspired by God, if the whole of Scripture dedicates a lot of time and energy into focusing on the heart of a person, on the whole person, on, on the man themselves, the man or woman themselves, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we give a little bit of time and thought into our own hearts, the condition of our heart? So let's talk about the next word, pure. What does pure mean in the Bible? Well, I looked up the definition in the dictionary and it says, not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. And you know, I thought about that after some time and normally uh, when you find a word in the dictionary, you kind of have to translate it. Okay, well, that's what it means here, but in the Bible, this is what it means. But I got to tell you, that's a pretty good definition. Not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. Let's talk about what it means to not be mixed for a minute. When you think of a substance that not, that's not mixed, you think of a, of a pure substance, you think of a singular substance. For instance, you know, pure alcohol, it's singular. That's all it is. There's nothing else. It's just alcohol. It's singular. Or you think of uh, gold, pure gold. There's no other substance there. It's just gold. You know, in, in, in that sense is consistent in Scripture. That definition 
of, of understanding purity is consistent with the way the Bible talks about purity. You would think in terms of singleness. And, and that's, that's the concept of purity in Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. Jeremiah chapter 32. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they always fear me and that all will go well for them and for the children after them. It's always funny when you quote a passage from uh, the Bible and you don't give any context. So we got to give context to understand the passage, right? Jeremiah was a prophet. He lived somewhere around, he was born somewhere around 650 BC. And he lived at a very, really sad time in the history of God's people. The nation of Israel was once a great nation, and it was on the decline. Half of it had been conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and the only part that was left was called Judah. And it was, it was dwindling, it was rapidly falling apart. And one of the main reasons why it was collapsing was because of what, 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 what God would call an undiv- a divided heart. They had a tendency to worship God and idols. And so they were divided in their devotion to God. They were mixed in their devotion. And even though he sent Jeremiah and other prophets to them to tell them, stop doing that, or, or, or something bad's going to happen, they didn't listen. And ultimately, all those prophecies of the prophets, including Jeremiah, came true. And, and Judah was destroyed by Babylon, and they were carried off into captivity. And Jeremiah had the unfortunate luck of having to see his prophecies fulfilled and live through the fall of Judah and be carried away into captivity. All because they lacked a singular devotion to God. They were not pure in their devotion to God. Now this prophecy is interesting because it actually prophesies about a time later when they would have a singular devotion to God. And you know, history tells us that this actually happened. When, when they were carried away into captivity some 70 years later, they were allowed back into, the, into Jerusalem, and they were allowed to rebuild the city and the temple. And, and as a result, over time, the, the worship of God was restored. And then the people of Israel that were scattered all around began to, began to uh, meet in, in what they called synagogues, the ones that couldn't come back to Jerusalem. They had been scattered, and they began to worship God all over the place. And what ended up happening to the nation of Israel is they actually became monotheistic, they went from being polytheistic, worshiping God and other gods, to becoming monotheistic. And Jews today are still known for their belief in a singular God. Their singular devotion to one God. I'm not saying they're, they're perfect people. I'm not saying that they follow Jesus Christ or anything else about them. I'm just saying, though, that one of the hallmarks of a Jew is that they worship God and no other gods. And so this prophecy did actually become true generations later in the, in the people of Israel they were restored to a singleness of worship, of worship, a singleness of devotion. And that's, that's one way to understand the word purity, is that singular. But, you know, there's a second part of the definition of purity, which means not adulterated or undefiled. And I want to I share how that plays out in Scripture. So we're going to look at another prophet named Ezekiel, verse, uh, chapter 37, verse 23. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and their vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them for all their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people 
and I will be their God. The other part of being pure is to be cleansed. It's being unadulterated. You think of a substance that, that is mixed and you, you, you remove the, the impurities and now you have a singular substance. That's, that's a cleansing. Ezekiel was a prophet who lived about the same time as Jeremiah. And he actually prophesied the same basic prophecies of, that Jeremiah prophesied. And he also saw the failure of the people to heed the prophecies and for the, the kingdom of Judah to be annihilated. And he was also had to live through that terrible time. But he also made this prophecy like Jeremiah about a time when they would be cleansed, when the impurities, the defilement would be removed. And so when we think about the word purity, we think about being undivided and we think about being clean or unadulterated. So if we put all this together, just to, get a, just to get a great working definition of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, let's, let's rewrite this or let's rephrase this in a way that might add all of this understanding together. And I think it would read something like this, happy, fortunate, ideal, to be congratulated is the man whose whole person is undivided and undefiled. Now, doesn't that sound good to you? Yeah. Don't you want to be that kind of a person? A person who's just, there's no impurity in you whatsoever, and you're not divided at all. You're just a, a whole person. You are what you are inside, and, and you're the same person outside. You're undivided. You're undefiled. What a, what a great way to be. What a great state of mind. What a great place to be. And that's why Jesus called it blessed. Happy is the person. In psychology, the word that, that, that uh, psychologists like to use is the word congruent. It means that you're the same inside that you are outside. There's no, there's no distance between the two. You are just who you are. You're, you're a single person, and, and, and uh, uh, there's no, you know, you're, you're not separated into secret little sides of your own personality. You're just one person, right? You're singular. There's no mixture going on there. That's what Jesus wants for us. At the end of the day, what he wants, what he's calling followers to be, what he's calling people out of the crowd to be, is to be singular and pure. Or singular and undivided, or under, I'm sorry, undivided and clean in their devotion to God. Amen. That's what he's calling you and I to be. That's what he was calling the people in the crowd to be. Amen. To be pure. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place of being pure in heart, now that we understand what it is. Well, I have, a, I have a phrase for you that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. It actually comes from the Air Force, from the military. Here's the phrase. Turn and burn. Now, the phrase comes from the military, and, and, and it's used in the Air Force, and the, the concept is when a, when a pilot goes into a, a, into a mission and they drop their bombs or they're in a dogfight or whatever, there becomes a point in time in that, in that arena where they got to get out. Either they're out of fuel, or they've, com or they've completed their mission, or they've shot the enemy plane down, or whatever it is, but they, or they're out of ammo, they got to get out. And the phrase they use for that is to turn and burn. It means to turn the plane around and hit the afterburners and get out. And I really believe that that is the key to becoming pure in heart. I really believe that's what Jesus was trying to tell the audience in the first century, and what I think he's trying to tell you and I, he was trying to call people out of the, the past, out of their old way of living and their old way of doing, turn away and run away. Right. Turn and burn. Get out of that old way of being and turn towards God. Yeah. That's maybe a great way to think of being pure in heart. 
That there's just one objective now. There's just one goal, and that is to get home for the pilot and for the, for the believer, for the person that was in that crowd. Jesus was saying, there's only one thing here, and that is to get back to God. Amen. To get away from religion, to get away from all the confusion that comes with religion, and, 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 and to lose your religion, and to get back to a pure devotion to God Amen. in your whole person. And you know where that starts? It starts when we follow Jesus. It boils down to that. It boils down to a simple decision to step out of the crowd and start following. Many of us have made that decision, but I think that, that the, the idea is that decision is an ongoing one. It never stops. We always have to make that decision. We constantly have to step out of the crowd because our hearts, if you may remember, are constantly divided and defiled. That, that is the problem with us. Our hearts keep going back. And so even a long-time Christian, even a long-time follower who's displayed the characteristics of the Beatitudes, who've manifested these qualities, has to constantly be stepping out of the crowd. They have to constantly be moving towards God and away from what divides and what defiles, Right? So it's an ongoing process, but there's also a beginning. There's also a first time. And if you're, if you're relatively new, if you're just learning this for the first time, there is a point where you start, right. where you make the decision. And, and oftentimes that looks like coming to church, studying the Bible, or just making, initiating a conversation with a, with a believer that says, hey, I, I'm, I'm ready for a change and I want to make this step. I want to take this next step. And that's, that's it's, it really that simple. That's where it starts. Yeah. You know, I was standing here and I was thinking about our, our, attendance this morning and, and you know it's Simi Valley we don't we're not a big church we have about I think it's like uh, 15 families basically out here and so if summer comes and three or four people go on vacation we lose a lot of people and the audience gets very small and you start to feel like what's going on right nothing wrong with vacation that's all good but but I can't help but think how much we got to get this message to other people and that's the thing that keeps striking me. Every time I come on Sunday and every time I stand before you, I, I, I'm constantly reminded, hey, you guys are awesome. You're great people. You've made the decision to come out of the crowd. You've done the following. We've got to get other people to come do on. it too. Jesus wasn't talking to just 10 people when he gave this message. He was talking to thousands. He went out of his way to figure out a way to get crowds around him. And the way he did that is he got into the communities. He went into the towns and the villages and he shined his light. He, he lived his life. He did what he had to do to get the people's attention and then he began to teach them and call them out. And I can't help but think that we're missing that. That somehow we have got to get this message to people in Simi Valley. I don't know that you need it, I mean, we always need it, obviously. There's an element where we're always coming out of the crowd. But, but I believe every person in this room has made a decision and wants to follow Jesus. So, so the emphasis now is on us spreading this word to others. So I can't help but make, put a plug in here, for lack of a better, better term. You've got to start bringing people with you. There's no other way for them to hear this message unless they come out. They've got to start hearing it. And you're the person given the assignment to get this message out. If you want to be a follower, if you call yourself a follower, then you've got to manifest these beatitudes. And that includes sharing them, getting other people to see them, bringing the message to them. So we have a great opportunity, guys, 
coming up on Wednesday. What we've been doing, if you haven't noticed, on Wednesday is we've been meeting at the park. Right. And there was a reason why we met at the park. Anybody know the reason? So we could meet people. We want to be in the community. We are the best hidden kept secret in Simi Valley up here in Wood Ranch. I mean, we really are. This, this sort of excluded little place. People aren't just going to stumble in here. We got to go find them. And that was the idea of going to the park, was getting out in the community and meeting people. There was a second benefit. I love our fellowship and I love sitting there watching everybody talking and getting to know each other and growing closer together and you know, building a lot of love between us. But I can't help but tell you, I was there last Wednesday and I was standing out uh, on, on the park looking at the uh, pavilion and watching everybody and I was so encouraged, it was awesome. But then I realized I was one of the only ones out in the park trying to meet people. And I want to call you to do the same. You have a great opportunity this Wednesday to get there early, to meet some people and bring them or to make some phone calls before you come and bring people with you, but get them there. It's, it's, it's going to be one of the easiest ways to introduce someone to the fellowship because there's nothing specific going on other than eating tacos, manna from heaven. It's going to be a great time. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, please. Start thinking outward. Start thinking about other people around you. These messages aren't just for us. They've they got to be heard by everyone. Right. The message of Jesus is for everyone. So, enough on my shameless plug there, but let, let's get focused on this and let's really give ourselves to this so that we uh, can, can teach people what it really means to be pure in heart. Amen. You know, in every beatitude that we read, there is always uh, a blessing and we've talked about the blessing of just being single and, and pure, undefiled. I mean, that's a, a wonderful blessing in your heart, being congruent. But there's also a promise. And every one of the Beatitudes has a promise. And this Beatitude's promise is they will see God. Amen. Now, the interesting thing about these promises is there is an element of being fulfilled today, and then there's an element of being fulfilled tomorrow. In other words, these promises are fulfilled now, but they also will be fulfilled later. So what does it mean to see God today? How does that, that, that promise fulfilled in our lives today? Well, I will tell you, for any person that has followed Jesus Christ, you, they are gifted with a unique gift. And that gift is to be able to see God in nature, in circumstances, and in experiences. You are gifted. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been gifted with this ability to see God in the nature around you, in circumstances that happen, and in your own personal experiences. Right. You know, that's not a gift everyone has. That's a gift given to those who stepped out of the crowd, made a decision to become followers, and are manifesting the Beatitudes in their lives. And, and that gift is a very precious gift. It's a precious gift because it helps Christians... It helps followers, it helps you and I make sense of the world around us. When I, when I go and see a, the Grand Canyon, as we talked about before, we look at some of these beautiful sights around the world, we can, we can stand in awe of God. Right. We can see God there. You know, so many people don't see God when they go there. They don't get it. They don't see that. Or when there's something that happens in your life or in the world around you. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there tragedies? Why is there pain? What, what about suffering? Right? All these things the world has no explanation for. They don't understand these things because there is no scene of God in them. 
But the follower of Jesus Christ is gifted with a promise, a gift that says you'll see God. You can make sense out of these things that happen, whether it's in the world or in your own personal experiences. And I think every one of us has a personal testimony. Every one of us can share many things over how we've seen God. That is a precious and valuable gift. And it's a great way to, to start with people. It's a great way to help people come and see God too. But then there's also a later fulfillment. There's a, there's a more complete fulfillment that's promised here. And I want to share this passage with you because I want you to see it in writing. Revelations 22, verses 1-4. through 4. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more light, night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What we're reading here is a, is a vision that was given to the Apostle John. And it was a vision of heaven. And, and in this vision, he saw this, this time when the followers of God, the, those who have stepped out of the crowd and become followers of Jesus Christ, would see God face to face. Have you ever thought about heaven much? Do you spend any time thinking about heaven? Yeah. If you do, good for you. And if you don't, then try it. It, it is a, it is a, a, a marvelous thing. It is a, a very faith-building thing to do. It's just to sit and contemplate heaven. Because there will be a time when we will see God Face to face. And I want you to notice the statement there. He says in verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. You know what that's referring to? It's referring to the problem with you and I, our hearts. There will no longer be divided and defiled hearts in heaven. We will be pure. It's a promise. We're going we're gonna to get it fulfilled partly now as we grow in our Christian walk, as we, as we grow in our faith as Christians, our, our hearts are pure, being purified, they're being cleansed. But there's going to be a time when it's just going to be given to us. We're going to have pure hearts. Amen. Imagine a world with pure hearts. We would have no worry about war or strife or famine or conflict because everybody's heart would be pure. We would all do what's right all the time and the right thing to do. We would be undivided and undefiled. And this is a promise given to you and I and anyone who would step out of the crowd and become a follower of Jesus Christ. You will see God. The curse will be gone. And we will be able to see God and reign with Him forever Amen. and ever. You know, I started off talking about things to see. In the world, you know, and we, we went through about 10 different images of just awesome things to see, places to go. And some of us have seen some of those and some of us may not, but we've all probably seen one or two of them, right? The world really is full of some amazing things to see, but I'm going to tell you this. Nothing in this world will compare to seeing the face of God. Wow. Wow. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close with a prayer. And then Anthony will have a final song for us and we'll be dismissed.